invite you to take your Bible and turn with me. Those of you who are watching at home, please feel free to do that as well. You can open your Bible right in your living room there. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll uh, start out today with that, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Now, if you need a Bible, uh, guys are here ready to come down the aisle and put one in your hand. If you need one, just slip up your hand and they will see to it that you have one to read along with. Congregationally, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. I'll begin with verse 1. If you'll take verse 2, I'll take 3 and you take 4. But can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 reads, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again this morning. We cannot thank you enough, but we know that you treasure every uh, gratitude, every giving of thanks that your people offer, that it rises to your throne room as a sweet-smelling offering. As we say to you and from our heart give to you the thanksgiving that you are due. Thank you for your word, the work of your spirit, the grace of God that is ours in Christ for this opportunity to gather. Thank you for your mercies new each morning. And as we this morning gather, we ask again that you receive our thanks and teach us what you would have the church to know. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Please be seated. We are going to begin our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians with uh, somewhat of a topical message this morning that I've entitled, uh, The Hallmarks of the Thessalonian Church. The Hallmarks of the Thessalonian Church. Now, if you look at um, verse 1 there, we, we notice that uh, Paul says that this letter is to the church of the Thessalonians. Interestingly enough, if you were to look at some of Paul's other letters uh, and you would look at some of his other greetings, for instance, you would find Paul's greeting in uh, the book of Colossians, which we just finished studying. He says to the saints and the faithful. Uh, Paul's greeting uh, in the book of Philippians, which we studied before Colossians. Paul wrote uh, to all the saints with the bishops 
and deacons. Uh, Similarly, in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus or to the believers in Ephesus, he writes to them, he said, to all the saints in Ephesus. So it is interesting as we come to 1 Thessalonians that we find that Paul's greeting changes a, a bit. He says specifically that this is to the church of the Thessalonians. We also know that when Paul wrote this letter, he was at Corinth. He had uh, just visited Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, however you would prefer. I love our brother uh, Andrew Lasavio, who spent uh, many years in Albania, uh, refers to Thessalonica as Thessaloniki. And so Paul had just visited there and was at Corinth when he wrote this letter. And what is unique about this letter is that it is one of the Apostle Paul's earliest writings. And so can you imagine, uh, if you would with me for a moment, that the Apostle knows he's called to share and bring the gospel to these various areas of Macedonia which, and uh, Asia, those areas we now look at as, as Europe and, and Asia. And his great knowledge of, of the Old Testament scriptures, he himself was not a scribe, but he would have worked diligently with scribes as a Pharisee to see to it that the scrolls were written properly. And so now as he takes up the mantle of beginning to write to what is uh, clinically the, the first of the New Testament church era to write to them, believing that this will be a letter that, that will encourage them, believing this to be a letter that will uh, circulate through all of the believers. He had been rushed away from that place because as he preached in the synagogues, violence broke out. And so having landed in Corinth, now wanting to kind of perhaps finish what he started out to say to them, he takes up pen to write this book. We also see in these first verses that he is not alone. He is with uh, Silvanus and Timothy. Right there, the first sentence of the first verse. He is with Silvanus and Timothy. Now, many of us are aware that he would be sending Timothy with this letter to the Thessalonian church. But Silvanus, uh, some of us may not know much about him, also known as, do you know what his name is also? Silas. Also known as Silas in scripture, uh, Silvanus was a longtime companion of the Apostle Paul. Long time. And he had... Uh, 
experienced the joy of being jailed with Paul in Philippi. Now, I, my hope is that none of you ever have to go to jail. But I'll tell you, as one who has been in jail, that it's always good to have a friend in jail. And I'm not proud of being in jail. Uh, the things that took me to being incarcerated were things that are not uncommon in the life of someone who is rejecting God's sovereign will for their lives. It's not uncommon to find men and women who wind up in jail saying, God help me, wanting to land themselves in a Bible study so they can understand why these four walls have now sought to imprison me. And the fact of the matter is, is that the physical prison of a jail cell is only the consequence of a heart being imprisoned by sin. And I know that in my life, the sin was great. And though I am before you today as a, a redeemed, saved Christian, I know that still in me, there's nothing good. That apart from Christ, I'd still be there. And so Paul, with his companion in the faith, Silvanus, he writes. Now it is different for him to note these two co-laborers, very different than what we studied last week at the close of the Colossian book. Remember, there were so many that uh, worked with him in the gospel. Last week we talked about Tychicus and Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Justice, Epaphras, Luke was even mentioned. And here Paul restricts himself to those who are with him right now, Silvanus and Timothy. So what are the hallmarks of the Thessalonian church? Some of you who are um, impassioned Bible readers, maybe you would even consider yourself a, a student of the Bible. Maybe you've even spent time studying the Bible or taken a class or two uh, in something what's called inductive Bible study. As we read these first four verses this morning, what would you see as being the hallmarks of the Thessalonian church? They bounce quickly in front of us there in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are what I would call the harm, hallmarks of this body of believers that came to faith in the township of Thessaloniki. And as Paul is writing to them, he already knows, having just been there and ushered away very quickly, he already knows that, that these things, uh, these hallmarks, if you will, 
are taking place in their lives. And so this is going to consume us for a moment, our time together this morning. But it's necessary before we jump into, well, oh my goodness, you know, look at, look at this church and it, its work of faith, its labor of love, its patience and hope, patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important for us to remember specifically how the gospel came. I point you to verse 5, where we read, For our gospel, Paul says, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Notice there that we're talking about Paul as he entered this community. They they did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly there would have been a Jewish element there, but it's primarily a Gentile community. And Paul enters this city, as the book of Acts records for us, and as he is preaching in the synagogues the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that that mankind is no longer able to cause themselves to have a right standing with God through the mechanisms of obeying the laws of God, but that a new covenant has been brought into fruition by the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that by that truth and that fact, that now one's right standing before God is simply on the basis of their faith in the Son of God. It was good news, and it is good news, you can go ahead and say amen. It is good news today. The gospel of Christ is not just for a lost world, it's for the lost world, it's for the church, it's for us every day. And here Paul brought the gospel to Thessalonica, but he didn't just come with words. We see there that the gospel did not just come to them in word only. The literal translation of that is that it became word to them, or rather, the life of the apostles was living in such a way that the gospel message could be seen in flesh. It wasn't just words that Paul was saying. He was living a life. And as someone has aptly said, that our lives, too, should be the gospel. People should be able to uh, observe how we live and what we say. And by what we do and what we say, come to an understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So their lives, not just words, but their lives, and it was in power. Notice in verse 5, he says, it didn't come to you in word only, but also in power. Now that word there is singular, uh, and it refers, of course, to miracles, signs and wonders, the supernatural working uh, of God. And so as the Apostle Paul and his co-laborers brought this message. There was a witness of the supernatural following the message that Paul was bringing. And if we talked about this on uh, Wednesday night at our vision meeting. What's the vision of Calvary Chapel of Valley Springs? Simply, if you were unable to come, you can find our vision statement in a chapter 2 of the book of Acts in verse 42 and 43, that we would steadfastly continue in the teaching of the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And you read verse 43, that fear came upon many, and many signs and wonders followed the apostles. It is of my opinion that the body of Christ is grown, matured, and brought to faith by the word of God. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders will follow. We're not to chase after signs and wonders. We're not to go running around looking for the next miracle man or the next, you know, faith preacher or something. Let's just go see what they're saying. No. Just get a healthy handle. HH, if you like acronyms, healthy handle on the Word of God. Invite the Spirit of God to fill you daily. And we will see miracles take place. Signs and wonders. It came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 5. And in the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, well, isn't that what he's referring to in the power? Yes, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But no, as he makes definition that the Holy Spirit is different than the power of the Spirit, he's talking about the person. He's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. As the gospel was brought, the person of the Holy Spirit was speaking. And it is essential to recognize this morning that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not some byproduct. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God and the Bible teaches us that even right now he is speaking. And what he is saying is bringing attention to the person of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would never bring attention to himself, that he would simply bring attention to the Son of God. And that he would remind believers, the Spirit of God will bring to the believer's remembrance all things that Jesus has said. And so as he is speaking right now, every time the Word of God goes forward, the Holy Spirit is speaking the question is not, is he speaking? The question is, am I listening? The question is not, what is he saying? The question is, can I hear? 
Are you listening to the Spirit of God? Did you walk into these doors saying, Lord, I desire to hear a word from you? Because I am assured that when the heart approaches the third person of the Trinity, when the heart says to the true and the living God, Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I have accepted his payment for my sin on the cross of Calvary. I know that I am born again. And so now, by your Holy Spirit, speak to me. The Bible tells us how much more will uh, he give to us the Holy Spirit. You know, we're going to take communion this morning. What better time to say, Lord, how, I've been wanting to hear from you. And you know what, Paul, when he says in much assurance, what he was talking about is that he, he was absolutely assured that that gospel message was coming not just in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. He says, and in much assurance. He was absolutely assured. And no preacher should stand in the pulpit unless they have that same assurance. As Paul did, as he wrote this, as I do this morning. Now, consequently, their lives were changed. And the changes that took place in the lives of the the Folks in Thessalonica that choose to follow the Lord Jesus had these hallmarks. Which the first we'll deal with here for a few minutes. What was the first one? Work of faith. First hallmark. Church of Thessalonians. Their work of faith. Remembering without ceasing your, say it with me, work of faith. Now, the work of faith, notice I think it is explained in a few other verses. I draw your attention to verse 6. How did the work of faith manifest itself? Verse 6, you became followers of us and the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Jump down to verse 8, the second portion of it, uh, B, that says, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Notice that. The work of faith. Amazing. Manifesting itself in those ways. Now, probably many of us this morning are familiar with what is referred to as the Hall of Faith in the book of Hebrews. You can read it later today, chapter 11. But we're told what faith is. And let's be clear about what Paul means when he is saying that one of the hallmarks of this uh, Thessalonian church is a uh, their work of faith. 
Let's be clear about it. Paul did not mean that they had faith in faith. Paul meant that they were uh, displaying faith in God. And genuine faith in God has a result. You may find a lot of people today say, yeah, I believe, I believe there is a God. You may say, find a lot of people today that say, yeah, I pray, I pray all the time. But a, a faith in the true and the living God is first begins with an understanding that comes from the word of God. Paul told the Romans, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if you ever want to know what faith Paul is talking about, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews tells us that faith, and those of you who are watching at home, you can turn there, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. The author of Hebrews goes on to tell us that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke. All of creation is shouting your name. The sun, the moon, the stars declaring your fame. Once I was blind to this, but now I see that you alone are God. We sang it this morning. We read in, in Hebrews verse 4, 11, 4, that by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We find in verse 5 of chapter 11 of Hebrews that by faith Enoch was taken so that he didn't even see death. We read in verse 6 of chapter 11 of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. Did you know this morning that you and I cannot put a smile on God's face. You can't make him smile. You cannot put a smile on his face unless what you're doing is being done in faith. Are you living your life today by faith? Are you involved in mechanisms Read, checked, had devotions checked, working, check, mother, check, went to church, check. None of those in themselves being absent of the possibility and the ability to be doing all of that by faith. I come to church this morning believing God wants to speak. God wants to say something to each one of us. He wants to talk to that person that's at home. It's going to flip on a channel and he's going to be struck by the word. Are you and I living our life by faith? Because if we're not, you're running your business by faith. Are you nurturing your home by faith? Are you engaged in relationship? Your marriage by faith, believing God will use it as a testimony. Because none of it pleases God unless the element of faith. Hebrews eleven six, For those who come to him 
must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith. We know what Noah did, right? By faith, he built an ark. was the laughing stock of his community, but God spoke, and so by faith, he worked. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place from which he was born and to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive. Beloved, are you living your life by faith? Genuine faith in God. And we see what, what happened in the Thessalonians' lives. They became followers of the Lord. They were receiving the word in much affliction. Did you see that there? They received the word in much affliction. Verse 6. And I wonder at times whether or not we receive the word, you know, in any kind of affliction. Um, Recent phone call this last week, a dear mom who uh, years ago used to attend this fellowship, recently um, had moved, she has moved, and she has a daughter, I think we put it on the prayer chain, Caitlin, who has, I think, an 11-month-old baby and a 3-year-old, and September 3rd, Caitlin found out that she has stage 4 cancer. It's inoperable. They told her, if you'll submit to aggressive chemotherapy and radiation, maybe you'll live two years. And she decided not to because the aggressive chemo and radiation would have stripped her of the ability to spend time with her children. And so the cancer, the tumors are all through her body. And this mom called and said, Art, I don't know what to do. When the hard things come, do you just throw this out? You just, well, okay, I can't do this right now. Or, or is that the time to press in? Receive this word in much affliction. I think at times when life is the hardest, those of us who have been born of the Spirit of God, the ears are the most in tune. We see that in the life of David and others. Because along with that affliction, in the receiving of the word, there is the antithesis to that, the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's how they received it, not only in affliction, but with much joy of the Holy Spirit. How's your joy thermometer this morning? You know, wouldn't it be fun to just kind of put a big thermometer on the platform here, and we could take your pulse as you walk in the door, and as you came in, we could go, hey, Look, everybody's joy is at about 70% today. Let's work hard to get the joy to 75 next week. And next week you come in, the joy is at 80. Look, the joy is at 80. 
Let's work harder to get the joy. Sorry. The whole thermometer thing never sets well with me. And there's a reason for that is because the joy of the Holy Spirit, you've heard me say it before, it's a biblical principle, but the joy of the Holy Spirit is not a condition that is dependent upon circumstance. The joy of the Holy Spirit or the joy of the Lord is simply joy in the Lord, irregardless of my circumstance. And that doesn't mean that that this mom is supposed to walk around, you know, laughing at a serious situation that's taking place in her life, but that that joy is deep. It's, it's unmovable. It's, it's there in the midst of circumstance so that you and I as uh, believers in a true and a living God are not moved by the circumstances that are going on around us. As the Apostle Paul said, none of this moves me because of the anchor, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is he your strength this morning? You walk through those doors saying, Lord, you are my strength this morning. And those two operatives in their lives, receiving the word in affliction, receiving the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit, they, wouldn't you just love to, I would love, let's, I would love for all of us, I would love for the church collectively to be examples to everyone who believes. And to, for them, it was in Macedonia and Achaia. Everyone around was like, look, at these guys are on Fire for Jesus. Look how he's working in their lives. So much so that the apostles didn't have to say anything. Work of faith. As someone dear to me just said recently, you are a witness. The question is, what kind of witness are you being? Someone else years ago, you might remember this one, Always share the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Faith in a true and a living God active in your life will have a consequence in the lives of those around you. Secondly, we see, as we're going to run out of time here, the second hallmark for the Thessalonian church was their, what? Labor of love. Now, I see evidences of, of how that was manifest in their life. Verse 8, notice it says, From you, or yes, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Now, we read the second part of that, that their faith toward God had gone out so that the apostles didn't need to say anything. But if you look at verse 9, it says, For they themselves declaring, uh, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how, notice this last phrase, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Labor of love. For them, the word of God was going out everywhere. 
for them, it became clear that they had turned from idols to the true and the living God. So for me, as I'm reading that, we often want to take the phrase labor of love and and synthesize it down to love my neighbor, uh, do good works, do things that show that I have a love for people or humanity, and those things are true. But what I see here as well is that their, their labor was really an expression of the love of God that they had received. Was it a labor of love or a, a love that labored in the word of God going out and clearly that they had turned from idols to serve the true and the living God? Love that old hymn written by Kate Hankey in 1866, um, produced by William Fisher in 1869. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus, what? And his love. Labor of love. A a labor because of a love that they had received. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully and sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. Oh, I love to tell a story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. How much do you know Jesus loves you this morning? Do you know he loves you? He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He's not frustrated with you. He loves you. How precious it is remember that. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story. I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I can't help but to interpret their labor of love as more meaning a love received, expressed in labor toward others. The word had gone out that the Thessalonians had turned from idols to the true and the living God. That turning from and turning to. Do you have an idol this morning? What's an idol? An idol, it's been said, is that thing in your life that consumes your passion, time, and talent. In what way has God gifted you? In what way has he... Uh, deposited into your life a gift, a talent. And what are you doing with that talent? 
What are you doing with that gift? What consumes your time? Is it possible that that thing has become an idol? For me, for a lot of years, it was music. Spent a long time in music. And here going to be, what are we, we're 68. We're going to be 70 in two years. And I'm still playing music, but uh, the initiation of that first thing was, you know, music was an idol. To play music, to play music, to play music. And so much so that it became more important than anything else. When I came to faith in Christ, when I rededicated my life at 28, man, I took those instruments and put them in the closet. Because that represented a different life. That was a life that was filled with chasing secular dreams and wanting to be, you know, popular and, and all of that stuff. And uh, it was an empty pursuit. Now, I don't know if any of you know what an empty pursuit is, but maybe you've chased dreams or something that, that wasn't about... Um, it wasn't about the Lord. It, it was something that had taken the place of idolatry in your life. And for me, that was a form of idolatry. I put those things away and was never going to touch them again. And a year and a half had gone by and I was reading the word, going to church, trying to learn what it meant to, to be a Christian. I remember sitting in service one morning and the pastor was in Hayward and the pastor said uh, in the announcement, he said, oh, by the way, after church today, there are a handful from the church that are going to uh, an old folks convalescent home to sing with them and to minister to them. If you are interested, see so-and-so. And for some reason in my heart, my heart leaped. I went, oh. And that excitement about, well, really, you could you could do that for God. You could do that to actually witness and express your love for God. And so I went to that meeting and, and told them, and they said, yeah, well, okay, come and bring your instrument. And I remember walking into that convalescent home, just fear and trembling. It's like, I don't know if I really should do this, you know. And unpacked the instrument, and somebody sat at the piano, and they began to play hymns and those Folks began worshiping and singing God. I was like, oh my. I was so humbled, and I am still today, to pick that thing up and let it be an extension, not of fingers moving on a fretboard or a voice singing, but an expression of love for God. What is it that consumes you? That consumes me, but no longer is an idol. It consumes me in wanting to express what God has done in my life. How are you doing that? Are you doing that? A labor of love. Okay, we're going to close. I didn't give this last one enough time. We should have spent more time on this one. What was the third one, you remember? Okay, so it was work of faith. Say it with me. Work of faith, labor of love, and what? Patience in hope. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, so that patience, did you see what they said about it? It's right there, verse 10. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That patient hope, knowing he's coming. As the apostle Peter put it, in 2 Peter 3, he said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, my beloved, look forward to these things. Are you looking forward to his return? He is coming. But he asks only one thing. Be patient. <laughs> Be patient. Like sometimes, don't you just like, Lord, can we just like go now? Could we take this thing and end it all? I'm ready. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. The person behind me may not be. We're talking about an eternity of separation. And so God knows when that last day is coming. And evidently, the Thessalonian believers displayed a patience in the hope of that imminent return. I think frustration in our life over this last year and a half has been, the ability to get frustrated has been turned up. And yet by the Holy Spirit, he would say, hey, wait patiently wait and share your hope with others. And that's, that's a joy. That's a joy. So this morning we display the hallmarks of that same church when we follow the Lord receive his word in affliction and in joy and from us the word goes out that we've we've turned around in life we're no longer what we used to be we are different and we're growing in the grace of God and going to continue to grow each day until the Lord comes of which we are sure he is. And when we come to this table, we're affirming all of those things. We're simply saying, yes, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. 
Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And I patiently wait for your return. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, it is impossible to wait patiently in our own strength. And so this morning we afresh turn to the person of the Holy Spirit in which you have told us in your word is where the power to be your witness in this world comes from. And Lord, we are here to ask you again to fill your church here in Valley Springs afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you might use us in these last days to be your witness that you are coming and that you do love and that through us your word would go out. We are humbled this morning and yet rejoicing for that which you have already done to secure our eternal salvation. Now, O oh God, have your way with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.